By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded, the podcast series that brings you the latest trends shaping the world of emerging markets. I'm your host for today, Shireen Mohammadi from the Global Research Team, coming to you from New York. In today's episode, we'll focus on cybersecurity, which is becoming a growing source of risk across the world and across asset classes. Although it's not an area that has had significant credit effects so far, it's one that's evolving very rapidly particularly as the world moves more and more towards the digital economy. With this foresight in mind, Moody's has been leading the way on thinking through how cyber attacks can impact issuers and their ability to repay debt. At the emerging markets level, Costa Rica is a recent example of a sovereign that experienced a severe wave of cyber attacks that disabled key government services. To discuss the credit implications of these attacks and how cyber risks can affect emerging markets more broadly, we're joined today by Gabriel Torres from our Sovereign Risk Team and Leroy Terralong from our Cyber Risk Team, both also joining us from New York. Leroy, Gabriel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shireen. Thank you. Leroy, let's start with you. Could you first give us an overview of how we look at cyber risk from a credit perspective? So from a credit perspective, we view cyber risk as a form of event risk. And what we say is that it's an operational risk that falls under the responsibility of some set of governance bodies. So, you know, in the case of a company, it would be the board of directors, or in the case of a government, uh, legislators. Now, for companies, the concern is primarily financial impact, and cyber attacks can worsen credit metrics through two main avenues. The first is decreased revenues, and that can come through disrupted operational activity, or reputational damage that drives customers away. And the second is through increased costs. And those can be costs to recover and mitigate uh, uh, the effects of an attack, to pay for litigation and settlements, and in some cases, uh, for increased regulatory compliance. But the credit angle is a bit different at the sovereign level, right? Yes, that's right. So unlike companies, Governments typically oversee large and and diverse economies, and that helps them to distribute the associated risks. And they also typically have ample fiscal resources and, uh, you know, pretty key taxing authority that helps them absorb the potential financial costs of a successful cyber attack. And, you know, in comparison with government resources, the amounts of the, the damage associated with cyber attacks tend to be quite small. Governments are also largely free of reputational impact. So you don't typically hear of people leaving their country or changing their citizenship because of a cyber attack. So in in general, the financial impacts from from a cyber attack for a sovereign are, are, are quite low. Now, it could be a concern in an extreme event where an attack is catastrophic or systemic. You know, think of an attack that like wipes out a country's bank system or disrupts a key economic pillar like oil extraction. But in our view, the credit implications of an attack on sovereigns would most likely result from a weakening of institutions and and governance strength or from heightened political risk. And that would include 
things like misinformation or disinformation attacks that erode uh, institutional and governance strength, uh, as well as attacks such as election interference that's meant to disrupt domestic or even world politics. Mm, makes sense. And are there any features specific to emerging markets that make them particularly vulnerable? Well, emerging markets are generally earlier in their stage of digital transformation journey, and they often lack what we would think of as the latest and the greatest resources that are uh, more typically available in richer countries. And that includes technical resources as well as personnel. And a good example that highlights the relative vulnerability of emerging markets is that our cyber survey found that banks are among the most highly prepared of all the issuer uh, classes that we rate. However, in 2015-2016, there was a hacking group that various governments and security researchers have associated with the North Korean government that launched successful attacks against banks all around the world, all of them in emerging markets across South America, Africa, Eastern Europe, and South and Southeast Asia. And the cybersecurity researchers believe that these attackers targeted banks in these specific regions because they were, quote, weak links in the financial system, unquote. And so they couldn't afford to spend on things like uh, the latest and greatest security products or to hire specialists to help them configure their networks more securely. But if there is a silver lining here, it's that most cyber attacks are financially motivated. So even though emerging economies on the whole tend to be more vulnerable, uh, they're, they're less attractive targets than richer economies. Now, turning to you, Gabriel, what exactly did the recent wave of cyber attacks against Costa Rica entail? In early May, a new president took office in Costa Rica. And one of the first measures taken by the president, Rodrigo Chavez, was to announce that Costa Rica had been the object of a ransomware cyber attack. The fact that it was one of the very first announcements he made shows the importance that they gave to those events. As part of that, he declared a state of emergency related to this attack. It was the first such declaration of a state of emergency in the country's history, meaning the first time that state of emergency had been declared for something like a cyber attack. In the past, state of emergencies had been declared, but for more common uh, problems such as natural disasters. Since then, uh, more information has come out and the government has confirmed that there was more than just one attack. Several government entities and organizations, including the Ministry of Finance, were attacked and some of their systems were compromised. Full details of the attack and the objectives of the attackers are not available, but we do know that the attackers asked for payments to allow the government access back to all those affected systems, and the government has publicly rejected they would make any such payments. And finally, I'd like to point out that while the cyber attacks have increased over time, as Leroy has mentioned, this is among the first such reported attacks that have significantly impacted sovereign operations. You mentioned that the Ministry of Finance was one of the targets. That's the ministry that manages government finances. So did the cyber attacks affect the sovereign's finances in any way? Yes, the Ministry of Finance was uh, very much affected. And in particular, the ransomware attackers targeted tax collection and tax processing systems. And as a consequence, several of those systems had to be taken offline. And the government for a while lost its ability to digitally collect and verify tax payments, both from individuals and from businesses. So that meant that what used to be done easily online 
in terms of paying a taxes or processing a certain document that was needed, now required physically going to a government office. And of course, that makes it much more burdensome. The monthly fiscal data that we have access to do not show a large measurable impact. In other words, the revenues did not collapse, but the press reports indicate that the difficulties in processing taxes are still ongoing, and there's still a need, in some cases, to use these manual methods. So it may take a few months for the final cost to be added up. Uh, we expect the government that had announced a special task force to deal with all of this will report a final cost uh, maybe towards the end of the year. Interesting. And were any economic sectors affected? In particular, two sectors were affected by these ransomware attacks. On the one hand, you have international trade. In Costa Rica, there is uh, what is called the free trade zones. Uh, these are zones set up aside for companies that obtain certain tax benefits uh, and export goods and services. And a lot of these free trade zone companies need to process certain tax and other documents, which they used to do online, and for a while have to do it, uh, as I mentioned before, by sending somebody physically into a government office. Maybe of even more worry to the government, some of the healthcare systems that are used to set up appointments uh, for the population uh, in healthcare uh, that is provided by government entities were also affected, and they're still dealing with that. So these were two very different, almost you know, disparate sectors that would indicate that what the ransomware attackers were looking for were just easy targets rather than any particular focus in any one specific sector. And now turning back to you, Leroy, given that some of the biggest cyber attacks in the past originated in Russia and Eastern Europe, has Russia's military conflict with Ukraine and the ensuing international sanctions on Russia led to any increase in cyber activity in any particular regions? Yes. So, I mean, somewhat unsurprisingly, there have been uh, increased cyber attacks in Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. And, you know, these are some of the most direct parties to the ongoing military conflict. So the, the overwhelming majority of these known attacks are what we call distributed denial of service attacks or DDoS attacks. And these are attacks that overwhelm web servers with so much traffic that it makes it impossible for legitimate traffic. So people who are just going to visit a website makes it impossible for them to reach that website. Um, there's also been significant data leaks from alleged military databases uh, and also from, from companies. And that's notably been the case in Russia. Uh, but, you know, Overall, these ten, these are mostly what we consider to be nuisance attacks. It's not really causing that much damage. Um, but there have been some notable exceptions to that pattern. So um, Belarusian hackers have contributed to disrupting supply trains um, that were destined to Russian troops. And in an attack that U.S. and EU officials attribute to Russia, uh, the attackers were able to disable uh, certain via sat modems in, um, in, in Ukraine. And the spillover from that attack reached into you know, Western Europe. So there were 5,800 wind turbines in Germany that were unable to communicate through remote uh, monitoring and did not respond to the remote control. There's also been some instances of what we call wiper malware. And this is malware that's used to destroy computer drives. Um, and it really shut up. Uh, along with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, whereas in the past, it's tended to be 
you know, quite rare that, that, that you'd see that kind of malware. So these are some instances where, where uh, the number of cyber attacks has increased. But on the other hand, the consensus from the U.S. National Security Agency and cybersecurity researchers is that ransomware attacks have experienced a lull because sanctions uh, imposed by the U.S. and EU have dented cybercriminals' ability uh, to move cash around, although they don't expect that lull to last for, for a long period of time. And finally, looking ahead, what actions or measures provide protection against attacks? What have some emerging markets done to protect themselves? Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's important to say from the outset that it's, in, it's impossible to prevent um, cyber attacks uh, totally. So a well-developed cybersecurity strategy doesn't necessarily reduce a government's vulnerability to an attack, but it can reduce the attack severity and therefore limit the negative credit implications. So uh, we've seen countries with well-developed cyber strategies uh, that include cyber-specific incident and crisis management teams that are combined with you know, necessary technical skills. And these resources can increase responsiveness to an attack as well as limit its duration and or severity. Governments have also used regulations to strengthen cybersecurity. We've seen a large number of regulations recently surrounding cyber disclosures, um, as well as minimum cyber measures in the US and the EU. Um, and this aligns with what we see in general, that more advanced economies with stronger institutional frameworks, such as the US or countries in the EU, tend to have some of the most developed cybersecurity strategies and defense capabilities. Thank you, Leroy, Gabriel, for a fascinating discussion today. And with that, we'll wrap things up. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.